Hey, welcome to uh, this week's Spirecast. We're uh, glad you're joining us. If you're live, uh, drop your uh, name over in the comment section. Uh, I know we get a lot of folks watching this uh, uh, afterwards and uh, just really uh, grateful to uh, have you joining us today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, today's um, uh, Spirecast. One of my favorite leaders on the planet, Ashley Wooldridge. Uh, we're going to watch his talk. Uh, I'm going to invite Ashley to join in with us here. And uh, we get this opportunity to hear from him uh, today. You know, Ashley's one of the, um, I, I think, one of the more broad leaders I know. Broad in the sense that uh, you kind of cut across a lot of things, Ashley. And uh, just have loved watching you over the years um, as you have led. And now at CCV, uh, you know, you, what a great transition you had as you uh, followed there, as you were a part of that team. And and now uh, taking it to uh, just uh, just another level of excellence. And that church has always had excellence. So to build on that is just remarkable. You got a varied uh, leadership background and you're younger than me, which makes me jealous all the time. So uh, uh, thanks for jumping in with us today, Ashley. Yeah. yeah, it's good to be with you, Rick. One of my one of my favorite people to be with. So it's an honor to be with uh, Spirecast. You know, one of the things uh, that was um, is we've been re-watching uh, various talks from our very first conference in 2019. Um, I've been amazed at how spot on they have been for what none of us knew were coming. You know, when we met in September in Orlando uh, and you're, you, this is one of the best leadership talks I've heard. I've sent this around to a lot of my business friends and marketplace leaders and uh, I just was on with some guys over in South Africa and we watched your talk. So uh been getting a lot of mileage out of this one. Um, and then and then you use an illustration. You know, pastors are notorious for stealing illustrations. And I guarantee you, this is probably the most stolen illustration used after Spire Conference. And I'm looking forward to everybody getting to hear it if you haven't heard it already. Uh, but going into 2020, we had no idea what we were going to face. You know, no idea the challenges that were coming, especially for leaders, for pastors in churches. And just the various complications that went with uh, shutdown and then how to do online. And I think the principles you hit here about team leadership um, really are remarkable. So we're going to watch your uh, talk and then uh, we're going to come back and take some questions and uh, chat about that. Can't wait. What's up, Spire? Hey, in, uh, in 2015, there was a British man by the name of Damien Lowe and he was actually kidnapped by Syrian terrorists. Not your best day, right? And so they actually captured him and put him up for ransom with his family. And to show his family how serious they were, they decided to chop off one of Damien's fingers and mail it to the family. Here's the kicker. They gave Damien a choice. Which finger do you want to, choose, do you want to cut off? Now, that's kind of a tough spot if you haven't really thought in advance, like, what finger would I cut off, you know? So I don't want you to ever be put in that situation. And so I'm going to make you choose right now. If you got captured by Syrian terrorists, which finger would you chop off? You have to pick a finger on your hand to chop off. So I'm going to ask you to choose that finger and just tell the person next to you what finger you chop off. Go ahead and do it. All right, that's all the time you got. You know, Damien didn't have a lot of time. You don't have a lot of time either. That's all the time you got. So come back with me. Shh. 
At the end of the message, I'm going to tell you what hand surgeons say is unequivocally the right answer, okay? Until then, I want to talk to you about one of the most passionate topics that I can talk on when it comes to leadership. Spire is designed as a movement, that there be a movement, and for there to be a movement, there has to be leadership. Now, I, I, as a young leader myself, I can still go all the way back and remember the first time I was ever asked to lead something officially. Okay, I grew up in a really small town. I worked as a lifeguard at the age of 16. I'd worked there for a couple years. And after a couple years' time, my boss came to me and he said, Ashley, when I'm not here, I want you to be the leader. And I thought, are you serious? Like, what did I do to deserve this? I'm like, what, and what would I even do if I was the leader, you know? But I'm, I'm like jogging my mind, like, what did I do? You know, and then I was thinking, well, there was that one time that I was lifeguarding and, you know, I took my job seriously. And in the pool, I spotted what looked like a Baby Ruth candy bar because we sold Baby Ruth candy bars at the pool. And I thought, oh, I got to get that out of there. So I went and checked it out. And it was not a Baby Ruth candy bar. It looked like a Baby Ruth candy bar. Some of you are like, what was it? You can ask your neighbor later, okay? Well, you know what it was. So I moved into like rapid response. I cleared the whole pool out. I disinfected the pool. People had to stay out of the pool for like hours. And I'm pretty sure that day I saved hundreds, maybe thousands of lives. Maybe that's why he's asking me, you know, I was going to be a leader, leadership. And my guess is that a lot of you here, you would like that title next to your name. Some of you have that title next to your name. The idea that I'm going to be a leader. I'm in leadership. Now, the interesting thing to me is this term leadership, I could argue, is the biggest buzzword of our day in church. Don't you think? I mean, think about it. We have more conferences on leadership today than in history. More events, more podcasts, more discussions. It dominates our thinking. I mean, we have more books in history on leadership than ever. This past week, I looked up on Amazon, how many books are there in leadership? There's over 40,000. Guess how many of them are Christian books from us? Over 20,000. Over half the books on leadership are from us. I mean, we are enamored more than ever about this term. And what I want you to know is that actually has not really always been the case. As a matter of fact, if you go back in time, the buzzword was not leadership. As a matter of fact, when the industrial revolution kicked into gear and organizations started to kind of become organized and get a little bit bigger, you know what the buzzword was? It was not leadership. You know what it was? It was administration. Everything was about administration. And to prove my point, for the fir first time in American history, our colleges, many of them Christian, took on degrees to study the science of what it takes to lead organizations. And what were those degrees called? For the very first time, we created a, a degree in America called an MBA, which stands for what? A Master in Business Administration, because everything was about administration. But then, when administration at the top of our organizations didn't work, we relegated that word to just lower levels of the organization. You're just an administrator. And we came up with a new word in the 70s and 80s that became all the buzzword. You know what it was? Management. Everything was about management. And to prove my point, business schools changed their names from the Graduate School of Business Administration to what? Now we're the Graduate School of Business Management. Everything's about management. We don't need administration anymore. We need management at the top. 
And then when management didn't work, we said, oh, management's for the middle layers of the organization. And in the 80s and 90s, we came up with a new buzzword that we're living with today, which is, we don't need administration and management. We need what? Leadership. How many of you know that as much as we've invested in the term leadership, we are still seeing fundamental breakdowns at the top of our churches? Many of them have been in the news like crazy over the past two years. One of them from someone who I could argue is the father of the modern church leadership movement. What's the problem? Why are we still seeing all these breakdowns? This is my opinion, okay? I think we have the same lady dressed in different clothes. And what we've failed to do is we've failed to make a fundamental paradigm shift. We've changed the words, but we have yet to make a fundamental paradigm shift that every church leader has to make if you ever want to see a movement, a multiplying movement in your church or in your ministry. And that's what I want to talk to you about a little bit today. It is a paradigm shift we have to make. And it is based on what I believe is the greatest leadership myth that exists today. And here's what it is. The greatest myth, my opinion, is this. This phrase. You should write this down. The expectation that a single individual can develop the giftings to lead anything. Let me repeat that. The greatest leadership myth I think exists today is the expectation that a single individual, senior pastor or otherwise, can effectively develop the giftings to lead anything. Here's how the myth goes. Well, well if, if, I mean, I've got some leadership giftings, and if I just read enough books, if I go to enough conferences, if I listen to enough podcasts, if I, you know, I'll just read and study, I'll get a mentor, you know, I'll go back to school, and it, with the help of the Holy Spirit... I can develop all the giftings that I need to lead what God's asked me to lead. Listen to me. That is 100% not true. That leader has never existed in history and will never exist outside of the person of Jesus Christ. And he even did it differently, which we'll talk about in a moment. So what do we have to do? I think we have to change our buzzword. I'm going to give you a better buzzword in a moment, but let me just give you this one. I think we have to change from the buzzword of leadership to our word should be this, team leadership. We have to, now many of you brought your teams, and that is amazing you brought your teams, but don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not saying there should not be point leadership. I am the biggest proponent of point leadership in organizations and churches. What I'm saying is this, I don't care what kind of point leader you are. You do not have all the giftings needed to lead what you're being asked to lead today. And until you accept that fact, you will never be able to lead effectively because let me just put this in real terms. Think about everything, if you're a pastor or you lead an organization, think about everything you have to do to be effective. Let me just read you a little list. This is what you have to do. Uh, you have to be a vision caster, an overseer, an administrator, a manager, a communicator, a really good communicator, a team builder, a creator, so creative, fundraiser, scholar, researcher, writer, counselor, trainer, investor, arbitrator. Are you tired? You have to be, you no know, finances, real estate, law, HR, and then on top of that, you've got to be a great parent, spouse, and friend. 
Now, you raise your hand right now if you think you're actually decently good at every single one of those. Just raise your hand high. I wouldn't even think of, like, flinching my hand up. That leader doesn't exist. And yet, somehow, we think if we just pour enough into ourselves, we can become that leader. What is the job of the next generation leader that is going to create a movement that turns our country and world back to Jesus? Here's the job. You have to focus on a complementary team, period. What do I mean by that? You, even at the top levels of the organization, surround yourself with a complementary team that complements you in every way. And I don't just mean like the things you don't want to do. I mean, you hire people around you that are 10 times better than you in areas that you kind of want to be good in, but you know you're not. This is what the next generation leader has to do. And the only way it happens is if you have the self-awareness to realize the greatest leadership myth and leadership, that you'll never have all the giftings you need to lead what God's called you to lead. You won't. I was talking with uh, my mentor, who's mentored me the last three years on leadership, and I think he's one of the greatest leaders that exists in our world today, and we were talking about this topic, and he, he just, he said something that stopped me in my tracks, and I wrote it down, and I have not been able to get it out of my mind, and here's what he said to me. He said, the size, Ashley, Ashley's like, look at me, Ashley, the size of your dream will be determined by the size of your team. I would maybe phrase it this way. God's dreams for you will be determined by the size of the team around you. God's dreams for you and what he wants to do through your ministry, through your church, through your plant, through your nonprofit will be determined by the size of the team that you surround yourself with. And some of you think I'm like this, I'm one person then you've got to get even more creative to have some volunteers surround you. But if you've got enough resources to have a team, you better have a team at the top. Again, you're still the point leader, but you better have a team at the top that complements you and is stronger than you in many areas. Didn't Jesus model this for us? I mean, if there was ever a leader that, had, that could have, I mean, he had all the giftings, and yet he still chose to operate with a team. He chose three guys around him that were his inner circle, and then he had nine other guys that were his leadership team, and that's how he went, and that's how he launched the church to change the world. Why would we do it differently? Why would we think we can operate as one leader just telling everyone what to do? My, just to make it personal, at CCV, I have an inner circle of three other leaders, and then I have a circle of about 11 or 12 other leaders that we all lead uh, together. And you might say, well, that, you have the three. Jesus had three, but why do you have like 11 or 12 when he had nine? Because I need a whole lot more help than Jesus did, okay? That's why. <laughs> but here's my point. If you met those leaders, and many of you have, they are 10 times better than me in so many areas of leadership. And you know what? I love it. I embrace it. I believe that is the strength of our church, is the strength of the teams of leaders that we have. And that takes effort and that takes that you raise up leaders because listen, God always moves most powerfully through a complementary team. All right, hold your hand up like this. 
What finger did you pick to chop off? I'm going to ask you to vote. Ready? How many of you picked the pinky? Pick the pinky. It's a very popular choice. How many of you picked the ring finger? Good job. How many of you picked the... Don't throw your middle finger up. I'll just say the middle finger. You know, sir, don't throw your middle finger at me, okay? I am sorry. Middle finger, few. How about I point your pointer finger? Anybody for the thumb? I'm going to tell you the right answer in just a moment, but let me, let me make this point. What finger do we most associate with leadership? You do this, you do that, I'm gifted, I'm the leader, I'm the visionary, you do that, you do this. Guess which finger hand surgeons tell you, hands down, if you had to chop one finger off, you should chop off. Almost none of you voted for it. It's your pointer finger. You you, You would never chop off your pinky. It has a disproportionate amount of strength in your hand strength. These two fingers are attached by the same tendon, and they control 35% of your hand strength. You'd never chop off your thumb. You would chop off your pointer finger every single time. Here's my point. There's a leadership lesson here. Many of you need to change your leadership paradigm, and you need to move from pointing people around because you think you're so gifted to operating as a team. What is the most important finger that you have? What's the most important finger you have? Your thumb. You don't have a hand without the thumb. Why? If you, if you lost your thumb, do you know doctors would break one of your other fingers to create a thumb for you? Why? Watch your hand. Your hand is designed to have all different fingers. They're all different, they're all complementary, and they're designed to work together. But they do not work together unless you have a thumb that allows them to work together. Leadership is the thumb. And until you move from pointing to operating with the team together, God will never be able to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through you and for our world, for Jesus Christ. The churches of the future that succeed will be churches that are not based on a senior pastor that's standing up just directing. It will be pastors that embrace the idea of I am the point leader, but I'm going to work with the team to accomplish something great. In the Middle East, I'm told that if you put your hand in front of someone like this with your fingers spread out, this is the sign of a curse. The same hand with the fingers together is the sign of a blessing. What's the difference between a curse and a blessing? About two inches. And if you could shift your leadership from this to this. We might just see a movement of healthy, growing churches that change the world. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for just how much you've just rocked my world on this topic over the years. I know that in so many ways I've pointed, and I confess that to you, God, and I just embrace that, Father, you role-modeled this for us through Jesus. 
that Jesus operated with a team, an inner circle of leaders and nine others, God, that they wouldn't change the world. And Father, I just pray for all of us in this room today. Spire is about a movement. And God, we want to create a movement together. It's going to require that we work more together than ever as churches. But in our individual churches, God, it's going to require that those of us that lead, that we lead as a thumb, not as the pointer finger. And Father, may you just convict someone here today, including myself, that God, that is the only way you're going to move and change our world is through teams, not individuals. We pray this and give this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. You know, actually, I mean, honestly, it's just so powerful. Uh, thanks again for that. You know, uh, as long as I've known you, you have been about that. You've lived it. You've demanded it. It's how you lead. Um, where, where did all that come from? Like, I mean, you know, like, like, to, to, you know, who caught you early on and said, "Do it this way." Well, honestly, I, w- I wish it was something that was natural in me that I just like did, you know, from the very get go of, of, of leading young, but I didn't, um, where the passion came from is it came from a lot of pain, hmm. um, which, you know, as, as we know, sometimes our greatest change, our greatest growth comes through pain. And so a lot of this passion for team leadership came because I went through the pain of trying to trying to act like I had it all together as like a point leader, like I could lead everything, direct people, you know, everything boils up to me. Um, so that that's kind of how I led early on because I just th- I honestly had to, had a, a wrong assumption that that's what leadership was that you should know everything, you should be able to weigh in on everything, and you should be the one that all decisions came to because if not, you're not leading. And so the, it was the pain of going through that. And like seeing how I was botching things and not really doing things well. And, and then people around me not thriving, um, not, you know, retaining great talent. That's, that's really what it, where it came from is I realized there has to be a better way. And the more I studied leadership, I just thought there is a better way. I'm just not sure that, that we've, we've let it sink into our hearts. We may know it in our minds. We haven't let it sink into our hearts mm-hmm. necessarily. Yeah. And I know, you know, I mean, you spent time uh, in the marketplace as well at Intel and uh, and then at, uh, at the church. And I, I've watched as you've always tied it back to scripture. You know, what what gave that basis for it? I mean, obviously, our, our desire is to connect into scripture. But where the, where did those leadership linkage points happen? Yeah, I I think I really think every leadership principle is a, is a biblical principle. Mm-hmm. Um, like I really think that. So I don't. I, you know, some people are like, ah, oh, you know, we're bringing too many business principles into the church. I don't, I don't believe that at all. I think, I think if the principle is working, it's, it is a principle that comes from Jesus. It comes from scripture. So I saw the best leaders in the marketplace leading from a team perspective. And in many ways they, they had to, because the larger the organization gets, if you don't have a great team, it, it will not work. And it's actually what keeps a lot of churches back. But, you know, even from a scriptural standpoint, I just, I was so mesmerized just studying the life of Jesus on this topic. You know, I mean, I feel, I feel like if there was ever a leader that had every single gifting to just stand up and go, I'm going to do this on my own. Um, it was him. And yet the more you study him, he not only surrounded himself with people that he invested in, but he empowered them. You know, that that's what amazed me is Jesus empowered them. He sent them out, right? He, he always operated through a team. And again, you know, for the long haul, if we look at the long haul of our legacy, we want a team because when Jesus left this earth, right, the team 
dispersed and the team like did great things. That's why we have, you know, the churches we have today. Well, and leadership is effective when, when you empower others and trust them to go to the job. You look at that cycle in scripture, right? You know, Jesus would teach them and then he'd equip them and then he'd send them out and trust them to do it. And then he'd bring them back and they'd bring accountability to what they'd done. And then he'd do the same thing again. And, you know, I think as a leader, I think you're right to lose that pointer where I'm telling you, I'm pointing, I'm doing, I, I think is, you know, really spot on. A couple of questions we've gotten. Um, so, you know, if you've been hired to bring change and people don't want to change, how are you? Give, give some insight to that. You know, for a young leader, change management is what we do as leaders. And, and I, I don't think we do enough around change management and, and being equipped around that because we're constantly leading people in the change. And 2020 put that on steroids for all of us, right? Yeah. How, how, what, what would you say about how do you help bring change into a culture? Yeah. I, I think that's one of the hardest things, especially, I mean, change management is hard no matter what anybody says. And I think the assumption would be the the higher you get up the organization, the easier change management is. Um, that's not really true. Um, you know, change is hard in all levels of organization, especially if you're kind of leading in the middle of the organization and trying to bring about change. Um, so I think, you know, there's a couple of principles that you always have to take into consideration when you're trying to lead um, change. And that is, you know, just, again, telling people what to do, telling them the change that you want, this kind of pointer finger mentality, usually does not bring about the change you want. Because people don't always, people don't operate off of just head knowledge. You think, well, uh, what I'm saying makes sense. I'm just going to tell them what to do. They're going to go do it. They don't work off head knowledge always. They work off what more feelings and, and what's touching their heart. So change management a lot of times isn't just telling people what to do. It's casting vision that touches people's hearts. And that's sometimes what I think we miss in change management is, hey, we have to be able to touch people's hearts and cast good vision. And with that, not only casting good vision, but, you know, another principle of change management is just give it time. Mm-hmm. People don't, people's hearts don't change, you know, overnight. Sometimes, you know, outside of Jesus's miraculous work in our life that he changes us like that, you know, when we're trying to help people change people's hearts, we have to give it time. And that's what frustrates leaders is they think I'm just going to tell them what to do. I'm going to cast a good vision. And then tomorrow we should be fine. It's like, no, we're, we're talking weeks, months in some churches. You're talking years to bring about the change you need. And so I think, you know, touching people's hearts with great vision, but then giving it time, letting people come up, come along for the ride yeah. um, real quickly. That, that'd be a couple of things I think I think help with change. Yeah. What keeps, you know, as, as a leader, what, what keeps leaders from uh, leading through a team? I mean, what, what would stop me as a leader from doing that? What have you seen? Yeah, I think I think two things keep people from leading through a team. One is, is simply pride. Um, Mm. if I want every decision to come through me because I want the credit that I, I'm the one who made the decision, then I won't really lead through a team. I will make everything boil up to me and I'll point people around because out of my own pride, I think, I think I need the credit and I need everyone to look at what's going on in the church and to say, Oh, look that like he did that. That's all because of him. Versus if, if, if I don't, if I don't need the credit, I can empower everyone around me 
who might be better than me and point to them and say, look, look what they're doing. Look how, look how, look how great that is. And by the way, that's the sign of a strong leader is when you're not the one making all the decisions, you're empowering other people to make decisions, but my own pride. And I, I, I mean, I still struggle with this today. My own pride would tell me I want, I want the credit for all the decisions. So I think one is pride. Um, the second one's a little more, uh, it's a little more tricky. The other one's laziness. And what I mean by that is um, it is sometimes a lazy way of leading to just make every decision come to you versus raising up a team and empowering a team and leading a team takes work. You know, some people, they, they're like, they don't want to do the work of raising up a team and surrounding yourself with a team. And teamwork takes, takes a lot of work because if I have, like, look at my, my team today, my inner circle, a, an executive team of three guys, well, I have to align those. We, we have to stay aligned. That takes a lot of work versus what if I didn't want a team? I just wanted to say, I, I just have to align myself as long as I'm good with it, we're going. So I think it does take a lot of work. to. It takes more work to lead a team in the short term, but it's easier in the long run. Hmm. And a lot of guys don't want to do the work of, of raising up a team. They'd rather just make it all about them or have just one person um, around them that they just get to align that one person. You know, one of the challenges I found through the years for me was, um, you know, uh, and I love the teams I've worked with and the various people who've been on teams with me. But sometimes you get to a spot where the people who helped you get where you're going aren't always the people who can help you get who get, who helped you get where you are. Aren't the ones who can help you get where you're going. Right. Mm-hmm. Give give uh, that's a cheater, cheater, uh, tough question. But give me some insight to what you do in those kinds of settings when you. You, you love, you've invested, but now you need to make a change there. How, how does that come for you? Yeah, you know, one of the, I think one of the hardest things in, in, the, in church leadership is making changes to personnel and, and leaders that you know have hit a ceiling or hit a lid. And it's so hard because, you know, leading in the marketplace and also leading in the church, I can tell you that, when you have to make a tough call in the marketplace, um, it is 10 times easier than it is in the church. Um, it just, I mean, plain and simple, you know, that that's what makes leadership in the church so hard is, you know, we sometimes over spiritualize things. You know, we want to give people chances after chances after chances to, to grow and invest in them. But eventually you have to come to hard conclusions and it really comes out of a heart of stewardship going, if God has asked you as a point leader to oversee you know, the team and the organization, when you come to the conclusion that there's a teammate that's not going to help you and help the church get, you know, continue to grow, they've hit a lid, you have to make a change. And if we go back to the hand example again, um, the way I think about the hand, I mean, that remember that leadership's the thumb. So the thumb is designed to work with all the other fingers. But I didn't give this example in the talk just for time. But what's required of all the fingers to work with a thumb is that the finger has to bend. Hmm. Right. So every every person on your team has to be flexible enough to bend with the team. And what happens in teamwork is sometimes you have a team member that goes, I want it to be my way or the highway. Well, if this finger, if my pinky doesn't move, guess what? My thumb, I can't even reach the pinky if it doesn't move. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when you have a leader that has hit a cap and oftentimes that leader in a, in a team environment is someone who's not working with the rest of the team. 
you might have to chop off one of the team members because you can't even work with them. They're not, they're not bending. They're not flexible. So what's required out of teamwork is you need someone that's not driving their agenda, but is after the agenda of the church as a whole. And so um, I just like that idea of, of a finger has to be flexible to work with the rest of the fingers. So that's worth the price of admission for me today. Cause I've, uh, I, you know, I've used your illustration in some meetings already. And uh, uh, I, that, that, that flexibility and that flexibility is two ways, you know, it's in, in a team. And I think sometimes we lose that, you know, we lose sight that um, we both have been times when we have been point and we both have been times when we haven't been to point and yeah. And that that flexibility is needed to make that happen. That that's there's some really wisdom in that. And actually, I'm I'm grateful for you. I love your your ministry. I love your leadership. Um, I love the way you're influencing so many folks. Hey, hey guys, if you haven't signed up for Spire Conference yet, um, uh, September 14, 16 in Nashville, we want you to do that. Love to see you there. Ashley, thanks again. Any any last words as we uh, close out today for for the group? I think my last words would just be an encouragement for every person to sign up for Spire in Nashville. Um, we're, we're bringing we're bringing a really large team from CCV because I think it's one of the best leadership conferences on the planet. And to be able to invest in your leadership at Spire um, is needed now more than ever. Um, so I, I hope every person signing up for Spire, we're going to be there. Hope to see you there. Hey, that was for free. We didn't even pay him to say that. So thanks, Ashley. Hey, everybody have a great day. God bless you. We'll see you.